Good morning. Isn't it just great to be still in God's presence? What a lovely atmosphere just as we finish singing there. Um, I don't really want to come up here and break it. Thank you, Dave, for leading this morning. Uh, so, uh, this morning uh, we are, we started last week, we're continuing this week and on in the next uh, few weeks uh, about discipleship culture. Discipleship culture. And the subheading, if you want, this morning is the example of Jesus. Wow. How long have you got? The example of Jesus. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives as our Saviour and our Lord, we are his followers. Or if you want to use another word, we are his disciples. And therefore we have to look closely at what the one whom we follow said and did. So what did the Lord Jesus say and do about this matter of prayer? Now I would want to say, and forgive me for making a generality, that for the majority, no, for many of us, for many of us we find prayer difficult. If you were honest, you might sign up to that statement. But Jesus was a prayer. In Luke's Gospel alone, there are 11 references to the fact that Jesus went alone to pray. And of course, you can draw the obvious conclusion that if Jesus needed to pray, the Son of God himself... How much more do you and I? But nevertheless, it is an area in our lives that we find difficult. It is literally a discipline. And so, this morning we're going to look at Luke chapter 11 and the first 13 verses. Um, it will be very familiar to you. You've repeated some of the words this morning already. Because recognising that Jesus went away to pray, his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And what Jesus said to them in response to that, that question is the model for discipleship. It's a fundamental requirement of discipleship. So let's read it together. Luke 11, first 13 verses. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. But I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread, because he is his friend, because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the first part of that reading really are very familiar words and you'll also find them in Matthew chapter 6. It's a great shame, my friends, that when we know something off by heart, we gabble it without pausing to think really about what we're saying. Um, I can only speak for myself, but I can go right through the Lord's Prayer and repeat it word for word and be thinking about something totally different. And you get to the Amen and you haven't really considered what you've said. Why is it that, generally speaking, we find prayer so hard? The hymn writer James Montgomery said, prayer is the Christian's vital breath. Breath is vital. If we didn't have breath, we wouldn't be alive. So that says something about the importance that Jesus places on this issue of prayer. And incidentally, let me say for the record, uh, that what Jesus taught his disciples here, which we know and have named the Lord's Prayer, would actually be better described as the Disciples' Prayer. 
the Lord's Prayer is actually John 17. But you needn't refer to that now. This is really the disciples' prayer, so it's your prayer and my prayer if we are disciples, followers of the Lord Jesus. And the whole of our life um, should be an attitude of prayer. Clearly we cannot spend 24 hours of every day aside praying. But the whole of our life should be an attitude of prayer in the sense of living side by side with Jesus and conversing with him. It's a two-way process. When Jesus spent all night in prayer, do you think that he was talking non-stop to God his Father? I very much doubt it. And God doesn't expect us when we come in prayer to him to do all the talking. We need to allow God to speak to us as well as us speaking to him. Anne and I um, were at a table in a certain eating place on Friday and the table adjacent had two ladies seated who were obviously friends. We had been sat down, I would guess, 50 minutes before we left. And as we left, Anne said to me, do you think the other lady actually said anything? And I said... I think there was probably three occasions when she said one word. Some people just cannot stop talking, can they? And there are times when we need to be quiet in God's presence to actually allow him to get a word in edgeways and to talk to us. It's a two-way thing. So we need to be listening not just me doing all the talking. Which means I don't just come to God with a shopping list. Da, 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 that's the end. Off we go. Jesus prayed regularly. Seemingly most of us find that a difficult thing in our busy lives. But my friends, it's how we pray as much as how much we pray that matters. And here Jesus sets out a model and really focuses on three aspects of prayer. The three aspects of prayer, I'll tell you all three now just so you know where I'm going. It's content. And I've got three things to say about that. Our persistence and God's faithfulness. The content of prayer, as in the background to it, our persistence in prayer and God's faithfulness. And that's all outlined here in Luke 11, first 13 verses. So when Jesus shares this model prayer with his disciples, 
what does he start off with? He starts with elements of worship and elements of honour. Our Father in heaven. What a privilege to address the Almighty God as our Father in heaven. It demands that we pay primary attention to God himself. It's his name, it's his kingdom that we care about. Maybe I should say that we should care about. Not our own particular problems. So we place all our concerns, our daily food, forgiveness, protection from the evil one, within or under that umbrella of his name and his kingdom. They're subsidiary to that. Someone said, once God's name and kingdom are the framework of all that we do and think, we are free to knock on his door as late at night as we want. If it's for his greater glory and honour, if it's the honour of his name, if it's the building of his kingdom, he says, come to me, talk to me, knock on my door, any time you want. And if we love the Lord, we want his rule and his reign, don't we? We want that in our lives, we want it in other people's lives. We want him to advance his kingdom until the day that Jesus returns. You knew that was going to happen, don't you? Not so sure. Some of you do, actually. You knew that Jesus was going to come again, don't you? Very convicting. Anyway, but you see, that's our discipleship statement. We want his rule and his reign in people's lives. We want him to advance his kingdom until God draws a gracious line under it and Jesus returns. And verse 3, which is, give us each day our daily bread, recognises that for every one of us we are utterly, totally dependent upon God and his provision. And whilst it's right and proper to say grace before a meal, thanking God for his provision of food that by and large we had nothing to do with other than cook it, eat it and enjoy it, we thank God for everything that he gives to us, every blessing, whatever it might be, day by day. It's drip-fed to us constantly. And we need to be grateful people. Why do you teach children to say thank you? Because by and large, they don't do it naturally. Why do we as adults have to say thank you? Because by and large we don't do it naturally. We need to be grateful people and above all to our great God who supplies everything that we ever need and have 
in our lives. All good things. And those good things are not just physical, they're also spiritual blessings as well. I don't want to dwell on that right now. What I want to move on to is what the words that Jesus says. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Forgiveness is the cornerstone of our relationship with God. Can I repeat that? Forgiveness is the cornerstone of our relationship with God. And how easily do we harbour grudges against people? I'm hurt when I hear people say, I will never forgive them for what they've done. That really, really hurts me. I hope, by and large, I'm talking of people outside the church. But you know, we, and I include myself, inside the church, can harbour grudges. And we can have negative thoughts about people, rather than positive ones. Somebody rubs you up the wrong way, and we are not keen to forget it. Somebody says or does something which hurts and it lodges up there somehow. To remain unforgiving or even harbour, retain negative thoughts to one another shows that we haven't understood, I'm saying this slowly because it's so important, we haven't understood that we deeply need to be forgiven. Without God's forgiveness, friends, there is no hope for any of us. We are forgiven in Christ. And God wipes the slate clean. Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And we need to echo that prayer constantly to those who hurt us, those who annoy us, those who do things about us, say things about us that upset us deeply. It is part of our discipleship that we are forgiving people as God has forgiven us. And there is a great danger in living in bitterness and living in unforgiveness. We cannot ask God to forgive us if we're not going to grant it to other people. It hinders our Christian life, our spiritual life. It hinders and blocks out the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We need to deal with it, friends. We need to deal with it. We need to root it out and get rid. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
And then Jesus moves on uh, to explain about persistent. Those are verses 5 to 10. We just sang a song um, which I think one or two of us may find difficult to sing sincerely and echo the words. I called, you answered. My experience is that often I call and God doesn't answer. Or apparently not anyway. But that's probably because I'm expecting God to do things my way and in my time. Um, I, don't know, I don't know how patient you are as a person, but it seems to me that in this fast-moving age in which we live, patience uh, is in short supply. A lot of us are impatient. So twice this week, am I on here? Okay. Twice this week, I had the joy of phoning a call centre about something. Two different companies. I got tired of hearing somebody tell me that my call was important to them and that they were doing all they could to be with me as quickly as possible. All their operatives were busy, but we are working hard. Yes, but both of them. And do you know what? When you look at your phone and you think, I've been on here 28 minutes and I still haven't been able to speak to anybody about the reason I phoned them. And they're still telling me my call is important to them and they're doing all they can to answer the call as quickly as possible. Do you know what goes through your mind? My mind, sorry. Do you know what goes through my mind? I've had enough of this. But if I hang up, I haven't solved my problem. On the other hand, if they had 28 calls waiting, maybe I'm now number two or three in the queue, having started at the bottom. So you tend to hang on because you harbour that vain hope uh, that you're getting towards the top of the list. Had that experience? Twice in one week, folks. But you see, we're impatient people, aren't we? We want whatever we want to happen, we want it to happen immediately. That's what we've come to expect in a fast-moving modern culture. If you want it, you can have it, and you can have it now. So whilst we want instant answers, we carry that through into our prayers because when instant answers don't come, we tend to hang up. But our persistence in prayer does more to change our hearts and minds than to change God's mind. Got that? Persistence in prayer does more to change our minds than his mind. I have great respect for um, Tom Wright, uh, who is uh, a theologian, a commentator, a Bible scholar. Uh, And 
he comes out in, the, in this book with a, a, a very far-reaching thought. He says, I have no idea why God answers on the thousandth time a prayer he seems to have ignored for the previous 999 times. One might imagine that it would work more steadily and gradually, but no, from our point of view at least, Prayer is like chopping at a tree. For 999 strokes of the axe, so it's written before the days of chainsaws, guys over there. 999 strokes of the axe, the main trunk seems to stand firm. Then on the thousandth stroke, suddenly it keels over. Of course, We know that the previous strokes of the axe were weakening the trunk, even though we couldn't see it. And that's what prayer is like. Not that that God needs weakening, but that for all sorts of other reasons that we can't see, things have to take the time they have to take. And that leads us to the shape of the prayer Jesus gave his disciples. However you pray it, The Lord's Prayer starts precisely with the note that says God's way and God's time is best. I love that song, Faithful One, that we sang this morning. I didn't ask Dave to include it. Um, That was probably the prompting of the Spirit. But I love it. The irony is that there is one line and only one line in however many lines there are in that song that gets repeated, not because we sing it again, it's in the text. Do you know what it is? I call out to you again and again. So we sing that twice. Slightly ironic, isn't it? Okay, maybe not. You don't get the association. I call out to you again and again. I'll say it again, Lord. I call out to you again and again. We are given every encouragement to ask and seek and knock at the door of God's generosity. And to keep doing it. Those three verbs that Jesus said, ask, seek, knock, are all present tense imperatives. As is 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually. Sadly, we don't do it. Let me ask you a question which you might need to think about. What is it that you prayed for that you've now given up praying for because you've decided that God isn't going to answer your prayer? What would encourage you to pray persistently, continually, under the banner of glorifying God's name and honouring him? and seeking his kingdom.
what could you do to encourage prayer as a continuous habit of your life? Let's be aware that our tendency for impatience would often tempt us to give up after we've asked a few times and apparently not received an answer. And finally, in verses 11 to 15, um, Jesus underlines God's faithfulness. The concluding example of Jesus' teaching to his disciples on prayer is a lesser to greater argument. Unlike some earthly fathers, our Heavenly Father treats us so well. He treats us so well. So given the truth of verses 11 and 12, the concluding statement must be even more true. How much more? How much more? Uh, in the other version of this prayer in Matthew uh, chapter 6, Jesus is recorded as saying, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask? In Luke's version, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? More important than material blessings is the powerful guidance, direction, strengthening and anointing of the Holy Spirit in a believer's disciple's life. And the sign of real discipleship, real discipleship, is that we want the best that God has got for us. Or do we want to deny that? We want the best that God has got for us, don't we? Not something mediocre or half measure. So if you're in a culture where people give good things to you, how much more is our Heavenly Father, who loves us more than we can imagine, going to give us the Holy Spirit? to those who ask and keep asking. Friends, the issue in this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples is the tenderness and the kindness of God. That he is near to us, that he's on our side, not on our case.
It was Alfred Lord Tennyson who said, more things are wrought through prayer than this world dreams of. So don't be a dreamer only. Be a doer. Be a doer. What are we going to do to improve our prayer life? Underlining God's nature and who he is. God's name and God's kingdom. Underlining that we need to be persistent in spending time in his presence day by day. Underlining God's faithfulness that he will give us not just our deserts, that's nothing, more than we could possibly ask or think. In Bible readings in Jonah, I'm done, I'm through. If by in Bible readings in Jonah a week or two back, Jonah chapter 3 and verse 8, I was struck by this statement. Let everyone call urgently on God. If you're uncomfortable in this world, if you are sick and tired of what is happening in our society and our culture, can we agree together that we urgently, urgently call on God? for the honour of his name and the building of his kingdom and can we make prayer a priority and not relegate it to the if I've got time and I speak to myself as well as you